Last week we took a break from the letter of James and we talked about fatherhood, the dearth or overcoming the dearth or uh, countering the dearth of fatherhood. Today I want to continue, go back to James and we're going to, in a moment, we're going to turn to chapter 4 verse 13 and we've entitled today, If the Lord is Willing, Forget the Creek. You, you might have heard, if the Lord's willing, the creek don't rise. Well, this had nothing to do with a creek today. Just forget the creek, but if the Lord is willing. And I think that the theme of this section that James wrote can be said this way, ordering our lives without the direction of God is simply folly. It's just folly. Uh, and when you, if you refer back to verse 4, I'm not going to go back and read it, but it's the verse that says if we're... If we're friends with the world, we're enemies of God. I don't, we don't like that. We talked Wednesday night in our home group about how that Jesus said, I came to bring division, not peace. And when he walked in the door, there was division because he was truth and truth always divides. And when you say, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. That's, that's a division right there. You're either one or the other. And in the light of that, uh, an indicator of friendship with the world is making plans without consulting God. Making plans without God being involved in them at all. And for whatever reason, James, in the writing of this letter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose in these short verses we're going to read today, he chose to deal with this idea of, of making plans, making a direction of our life without including God and God's plan in our plans. We, we must be reminded, and we will be in this passage, of the brevity and the fragile nature of our existence on earth. And I think it was in the movie Elf that it was Fragile. Was that it? No, Christmas Story. Christmas Story, Fragile. And I'll never say that right again. But we must, he reminds us, well, I'll get to that. And he also deals with what attitude that we should maintain throughout our whole life, not just through the process of what we're talking about, but the attitude that we should maintain. And it's simply is this, if the Lord wills. Everybody, let's say that together. Is, do I have a slide for that? I probably don't. Okay. If the Lord wills. We can say that together, okay? If the Lord wills. That's the, that's the attitude that I think James is after in this. Now, I'll talk about it later, but this is not us arriving at a place that we, we have no thinking ability or no, no ability to make a decision. But it may, it's in the context of if the Lord wills. And we're going to finish up the way he finished up, and that is to finish with the matter of the sins or sin of omission. I used to preach a message on Matthew 28, and I call it the great omission because we don't, we often don't apply ourselves to it like we're supposed to and call it the great commission. James 4, 13 through 17. Now we have a lot of people. Uh, either we got people moving, we got people on mission trips, we got people on vacation, we got a long list of things going on today. So you have to just shout me down today, okay? okay. Yeah, oh yeah, right. Yeah, right. 
Matthew 4.13, if you would stand while I read the scripture today, once again reading from the English Standard Version. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist or a vapor, a lot of your Bibles will say, that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You may be seated. He starts off this passage with the words, come now. And when I read that, and if you look at the, I don't want to get too complicated, but if you get look at the tenses in the structure of the sentence in the original language, you get the sense that James is saying, come on now. He's saying, come, come on. As a matter of fact, the New Living Translation there says, look here. <laughs> look at here, dude. I mean, I think that's what he's saying. You, you guys, let me get your attention. Come on now. You who say. Come on. You who say. And you who say is when is someone who's declaring the truth because they think it's the truth. We were talking recently with somebody about people who say that's my truth. My truth is this and my truth is that. Saints, there's no such thing as your truth. There's only one truth. And that's Jesus Christ. And the only truth that we can, we can walk in and hold on to is what God says is truth. And because I have an opinion about something, because I want something to be a certain way, that doesn't make it truth. And so I, there's no such thing as my truth. It's God's truth. It is the truth. I, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. The truth. There's only one. And it's all in Him. Look here. You who say, now, we can say a lot of things, and they're not true, but we want to say they're true. And we were talking recently about people who have so structured God to fit their, their scope, to fit their mentality, to fit their opinions, and in some cases, to fit their uh, theology. I don't talk a lot about homosexuality. But let's just say it. It's a sin. And people, I love it when people say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality. I say, well, you never read the Bible. (laughs) Well, the New Testament doesn't say anything about it. You never read the New Testament. Well, Jesus never said anything about same-sex marriage. You never read red letters. I mean, where do we get these ideas? Jesus said, a man will leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. That's a man and a woman. How is that not? And so we want to make, I know I just made somebody mad, but you know what? I'll sleep tonight. I don't know about you. But we want to make another truth out of all this. And I'm not beating them people over the head. Oh, goodness. You know, as you get older, you just don't care. I said, I said, if you knew, a, I don't know why I'm getting off on this, but 
They gave it to me early today, so I'm going hey, I'm gonna use it up. Anyway, we're gonna eat in a little while. If you knew a group of people whose lifestyle on a consistent basis was to commit adultery, that's just what they did. They, every week, every day, their lifestyle was that they committed adultery on a regular basis. Now, if they got together and they wanted to have a parade, would you show up? Sin is sin. I'm not, I'm not necessarily preaching on homosexuality. I'm talking about the truth. And when I see people who have adopted a lifestyle, and some of us do that, that is outside of God's parameters. A lot of Christian people have adopted lifestyles that are outside of God's parameters, God's truth. What I see is not something that makes me angry. What I see is something that makes me sad because they have, they have settled for less than what God has for them. Why? Because they say, you who say, okay, whoever I made mad, I'm not sorry. You who say, we'll go to a certain city and we'll do commerce. We'll do this and we'll do that. Albert Barnes said another fault, which was doubtless prevalent among the, them, the readers, was a presumptuous confidence respecting the future or of forming plans stretching into the future without any proper sense of the uncertainty of life and of our absolute independence or dependence on God. When you say, we'll go do this, we'll go do that, the problem is, you who say is all of that is being done minus God's direction. And we think because we say, today or, what's the next word? Today or tomorrow. Today or tomorrow. We think time is on our side. We think time is, is in our favor, or we wouldn't say today or tomorrow. We would just say today. We think time's on our side. We can do what we want, when we want. We plan our lives as if, and these people were planning their lives, as if personal ability and profitability were the only things that mattered. Can I tell you those two things matter? Can I also tell you that James is not uh, criticizing profitability? If you own a business of any kind, I expect you to be profitable. I want you to make a profit. My wife's getting on to me all the time because I go to places and they'll say, well, that'll be such and such money. I say, you need to raise your prices. You're too cheap. You're not charging enough. You know why? Because the next time I will go back to that place of business, I want them to be there. I used to go to a shoe store in Hickory Hollow Mall. Some of you may remember this. I think it was called Father and Son Shoes or something like that. And I'd go out there, and they would have really low prices on shoes, and then they'd give you two for the price of one. And I would tell them, man, y'all need to raise your prices because I love the deal. Don't mind. Don't get me wrong. I love a deal. 
But when I come back, I want to buy some more shoes. Well, I went back one day. Guess what? They were out of business. Why were they out of business? Because they didn't make a profit. By the way, if you've never read the book Loving Monday by John Beckett, if you're in any kind of business or any kind of business mindset, you need to read that. Some of you remember that he was our guest speaker several years ago at our conference in Gatlinburg. What does the subtitle say? Succeeding in business without selling your soul. John's a, John's a man that was instrumental in starting Intercessors for America. But he has a business, or I think he's retired now, but he has a business. And he tells about how they ran this business, Kingdom Principles, and yet they made a profit. He wound up on ABC World News with Peter Jennings because of how they ran their company. Anyway, so my point of all that is I don't think James and I'm not denigrating the idea of your business making a profit. The idea is that it's not the main thing and it's not everything. Even if you own a business that's profitable, you need to make sure that it's operated on kingdom principles. And kingdom is the game, is the goal, not just making a profit. Oh, Lord, I've chased so many rabbits today. Anybody want some stew? (laughs) William Barclay said, James' answer is that no man has a right to make confident plans for the future, for he does not know what even a day may bring forth. Man may propose, but God disposes. And I'll get to it in a moment, but there's nothing wrong with planning. The planning without God is the issue. And what we have to remember when we look at the context of this verse and the words of this verse is that tomorrow is never promised. You can say today or tomorrow, but you don't get tomorrow. We got a call this morning that my wife's sister-in-law passed away at 3.30 this morning. My wife's brother passed away several years ago, his, her husband. She didn't get, she got part of today, but she didn't get all of it. Yesterday, she was at a watermelon festival. What a way to go. Today, she's in heaven. You don't get tomorrow. You may, but you don't get it promised. The rabbis in the old days had a proverb that said, care not. For the morrow, for ye know not what a day may bring forth, perhaps you may not find tomorrow. And we cannot live our lives like we got tomorrow. Now you got to plan for tomorrow. And people that don't plan irritate me. So anyway, that's another topic for another day. We've got these great calendars and nobody uses them. Anyway. Perhaps you may not even find tomorrow. J.A. Motier said, We receive another day neither by natural necessity, nor by mechanical law, nor by right, nor by courtesy of nature, but only by the covenanted mercies of God. We only get tomorrow because God's a covenant God. If we get it, it's because of Him. And so our planning, our direction must be ordered with him and by him. The existence of tomorrow is really as much a part of our dependence on him as is our very lives. 
Because we depend on God for tomorrow. And James is saying, you guys say today or tomorrow, we're going to go do this. We're going to do commerce. We're going to, but you forgot something. What about if, what about God's will in this matter? And he says, by the way, your life is a vapor. You can't say that because your life is a vapor or a mist. It's brief. Job wrote, remember, or he said, remember that my life is but a breath. My life is but a breath. And James says, you do not know. Everybody, let's say that together. You do not know. So everybody, let's say, I, I, I do not know. I mean, you know some things. But what you don't know is what tomorrow will bring. You got an idea and you may be right or you may be crazy. Write that song, Don. (laughs) Oh, God, never mind. They planned as if they knew what tomorrow would bring. And that's what James is saying to them. Now, again, I'm going to come back to it. Nothing wrong with planning. They planned as if they knew, but we must understand that only God knows. Only God knows. Again, I'm not saying we walk around like mind-numbed robots, spaced out. No, I'm saying that we we function the way we were created to function, but we were created to function within the parameters of God's will and God's direction. Luke 12 tells a story about what we call the parable of the rich fool. And this guy, he's, he decided he just need to build some barns. He said, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And then I'm going to store all my grain and all my goods. And then he said, I will lay, say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow is going to be a great day. But God said, remember what I read earlier, but you say, it really gets interesting when you read, but God said to him, fool. Now you can get offended if you want to, but God called him a fool. You know why? Because he was a fool. (laughs) Thus, it's folly to plan without God. He said, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Again, I I don't have a problem with you having things. I do have a problem with things having you. And that's easy to do in our culture, in in our economy, but... But that's not the issue. The issue is not that he had stuff. The issue, the issue is that he, he saw his stuff as the pinnacle of his existence. And he thought because he had barns and barns full of stuff, he could eat, drink, and be merry and have a great time. And God said, yeah, that sounds all well and good, except tonight you're done. Your ticket is up. Punch. We don't know. We just don't know. We ought to say, well, let me go back to this part. Speaking of songs, Jesus, take the wheel. Gary Underwood's song, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) When I was a kid, there were a lot of 
bumper stickers or on cars and tags that said God is my co-pilot. But I love when I saw this, put that up. If God's your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. <laughs> you got a problem. If God is your co-pilot, you see, this is, this is a group of people and a lot of Christian people and maybe some of us have a problem with God becoming our co-pilot. And, you know, it reminds me of the, of the, the drunk standing on the side of the sidewalk and a car comes run up, flipped over a few times and the guy crawled out and the drunk said, are you doing, I, I can't do a very good drunk. I could do Otis Campbell, but I can't, but, uh, are you, are you okay? And the guy crawled out. Oh yeah, I, I'm doing just fine because God's riding with me. He said, man, the way you drive, you better let him get out. Stand over here with me. God is not your co-pilot. Well, if he is, you got a problem. If God is your co-pilot, we ought to say, we ought to say. You who say, but what we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall. And you see, it's interesting that James didn't really get specific. He said this and that, and he got very general at that point. Why? Because if the Lord wills, we shall covers everything. Every part of our life, every facet of our life, every minute. That doesn't mean you're walking around like a spiritual egghead, so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. But some of us could use a little more heavenly mindedness. I can tell you that. James is not opposing, and I said this before, he's not opposing planning in our lives. You were built to plan. He's opposing self-sufficient, self-important planning that would relegate God to Sunday. Self-important, self-sufficient planning that relegates God to Sunday. You know that we have a tendency as a culture, especially in America, to relegate God to Sunday. We even have people in the news saying, let's just leave that stuff at the church. Let's leave that stuff on Sunday and on Monday. That has nothing to do with the way we live. And therein lies the problem. Paul, when he wrote to the church of Corinth, he said, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. He also wrote in the same letter, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. Paul allowed, Paul was planning to go to the church of Corinth as their apostle, but he allowed room for God's will. Even in the story of Jesus engaging with the woman at the well, the scripture says Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Jesus needed. Why did he need to go through Samaria? Because it was God's will. Because he had a destiny. He had an, he had an appointment. He had an appointment with a lady at a well about her, her soul. And this lady became the greatest evangelist in that city. Why? Because God's will was that he needed to go through Samaria. I can't go redo the whole story. But we understand, when we see these stories, we understand that life's successes and, and uh, life's 
uh, journey are all subject to his will, or they should be. Our dependence is on him, and all of our plans should be within reference to him. We plan. See, God doesn't plan for you. I mean, he plans for you, but we make decisions. We plan. God directs. I remember when we were praying about, in 1985, we were praying about moving to Tennessee. And my wife said, I'm not moving up north. (laughs) So I I let her know where the Mason-Dixon line actually was. She was okay then. Those of you from up north, don't get offended. Yeah, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that alone. But, you know, we looked in the Bible. We couldn't find the word Tennessee anywhere in the Bible. I mean, I could find heels, you know, guitars, instruments. I could find all kinds of stuff. Couldn't find the word Tennessee. So we had to say, God, you, you're going to have to. So we planned and God directed of course, in 1986, we moved to Tennessee. And we've been here ever since, mostly. Plan, God, you plan, God directs. Planning is right. Not only is planning not wrong, planning is right. Submitting that plan to the sovereign Lord is better. If you're going to make plans... Make sure you submit those plans to God the Father. Because, and and then, I don't think I have this in my notes, leave room for God to change your plans. Years ago, I had a company contact me out of, uh, I think they were in Dothan, Alabama. And they wanted me to, to move and go to work for them in the I happened to be somewhat of a, I wouldn't say expert, but I was knowledgeable in the Anderson window line. I'd been to their plan. I knew a lot about their product. And uh, they initially were talking to me about moving to Dothan, which would have put us 70 miles from our family. We've lived almost our entire married life at least 500 miles away from our family. And that's a price we've paid, and we're still paying that price. So we, you know, oh yeah, that might, that might work out pretty good. We went back and forth and they called me one day and they said, actually what we'd like you to do is to move to Meridian, Mississippi and run our store there. Well, for one thing, I'd been to Meridian, Mississippi. I hope nobody's watching from there. Don was born there, so that's good. I found something, I found out something good about Meridian. And when I first met, some of you will know, some I first met, Brother Horace Vinson, who passed away in January of this year, he was living in Meridian. So I know two good things about Meridian. But at that point, it was clear to me that God was saying, you stay right here. Because I wasn't moving to Meridian. We weren't moving to Meridian. We might have moved to Dothan, but we weren't moving to Meridian, Mississippi. Run a store or not. So you can plan, but let God direct. And let God change your direction. Let God... Change what you think. I, I could go through story after story. You'd probably rather I do that than preach. Proverbs says the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. 
16.1. The plans of the heart belong to man or mankind, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We should be interested in what God says about our plan or our plans. The answer of God's tongue. Instead, he says, of boasting. Boasting is, he says it's evil. Boasting focuses on self-sufficiency. Boasting focuses on our own abilities. Let me tell you something. You all have abilities. You all have abilities. First of all, we must recognize where we got that ability. I hope I can communicate this. Sometimes we have gifts from God. And sometimes we find ourselves relying on that gift so much. Because if you have a gift, you have a gift. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. So they're not going anywhere. Hmm. I'm not, I started to go down the street that it'll just take, I'll leave it alone. But I'll say this, that you have to be careful if you have a gift that you don't just rely on that gift because it's going to work because it's a gift. But how many of you know you can exercise your gift without God's involvement? It's still, it's still a gift. It's still exercisable. It's still good because God's, God gives it and God's, it's not, it's irrevocable. And yet you, you do it without God. Sometimes we get fooled into believing our our own press, so to speak. Because we're, whoo, this is great. So we, because of feeling self-sufficient because of a gift, we start figuring, hey, man, the world's pretty good. They got me. I bet they're happy they got me. Or arrogance. Uh, boasting is born out of arrogance. As a matter of fact, he said that. He uses that word. It's a total reliance. Total reliance on our skills and our abilities. Our skills and our abilities are real. Somebody said, man, you really, you really a good Bible teacher. Well, you know why? It's because I'm so smart. (laughs) You know that's not true. It's because of a gift. And it's because of God. That I can stand up here and expound on the scriptures. It's only because of his anointing and his ability. But the day that I began to believe that I can do it without him. Is the day that we all have a big problem. Me the worst. Boasting is presuming that oneself, not God the Father. Is in control of the circumstances of our life. And then he finishes with this verse. Whoever knows the right thing to do, fails to do it. For him it is sin. See, it's not just the sin of commission, but it's the sin of omission. It's knowing. That's why I, I, I said I've preached the sermon, the, the great omission, because we know that the last command Jesus gave on earth to us, which is still in effect today, until we get another one, and we haven't gotten another one, is to go and make disciples of all nations and teaching them fill in the blank. 
We know that that's true. And yet here we are, God's church, and we're not in, in large numbers. We are not doing it. That's an omission, and it's a sin. It's a sin when God's people do not obey what we call the Great Commission because we know what to do, and we don't do it. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm just telling you that James is addressing this idea. Albert Barnes once again says, He who knows what sort of views he should take in regard to the future and how he should form his plans in view of the uncertainty of life and still does not do it, but goes on recklessly forming his plans boastingly and confident of success is guilty of sin against God. In the context of what James is writing, it's about, again, our lives, our direction, planning our lives, and yet we know what we should do, but we don't. He's, in effect, warning us and the readers the truth, that the truth has been placed before your eyes, and to continue now in the self-confident habit of seeking to dispose of one's own life is sin for the man who has been reminded that the future is not in his hands, but in God's. Come now. Come on now. You who say. Where's God in that? Where's God in your decisions? Do you consider God when you're, when you need, you know, we, when we do, when we have, uh, See, I'm going to turn this off before it makes noise. I beat him to the punch today. When we have large decisions to make, we're prone to seek God or at least ask somebody. You know, if you want to move to another state or get make a big job change, we're prone to do that. But what about the other stuff? And once again, we're not talking about being mindless or brainless or have no thoughts. But are we submitting everything to God and we want everything to develop in God's will? What is God? If God's will, if God wills, we shall. If the Lord wills, we shall. If God is willing, we shall. Every part of our life. Now, there are things that that you don't have to seek God about. I've heard people in the past criticize this kind of teaching. Uh, well, you think I ought to ask God when it's time to go to the bathroom. No, you got a built-in signal right there. <laughs> and God put it there. When your bladder gets full, it's God speaking to you. And if you don't listen to what God says, you'll be changing your clothes. There are things that God has put in us and in you that you don't need to ask God about because he's already said. Should I leave my wife and go marry another woman for no reason? Just should I do that? Or should I go have an affair? Well, God's put it in his word. We don't have to ask God about that. It's right there. So anyway, I'm not asking us to be idiots. And mindless, I'm asking us to come on now. You who say you ought to change what you say, 
to, instead of we'll go to that city and today or tomorrow we'll do this, instead change it to if the Lord wills, we shall. Stand with me.